Well, as we've been drawing from the book of 1 Corinthians throughout our whole worship service um, for our preparation for offering, our confession of sin came from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What's the deal with 1 Corinthians? We're right in the middle of going through Scripture sort of one book a week, and this is the week for us to look at the heartbeat of that letter written by the Apostle Paul. If we take Paul seriously, he was not just expressing his own opinions. He was writing on behalf of Jesus. These are things that Jesus wants, wants us to hear. Um, why? Well, because of story. Because the life we live tells a story. And the life Jesus lived tells a story. A story called the gospel. It's a word that means good news. Jesus lives a life that tells a good story that every person wants to hear. Sadly, our lives live, well, make it harder to hear that story sometimes. The church at Corinth was a church living a life like that. It made it harder for people to hear the story that God was telling through his son. Is there any hope for people whose lives make it harder to hear the story that God's telling That's the question behind all 16 chapters of this letter we call 1 Corinthians. Tom's going to come now and read for us just a few verses from not quite the middle of the book that answer that question. Is there any hope that our lives could tell a different story? Today's scripture starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Tom. I like to read. I don't get as much time to read as I would prefer to have. Life's kind of hectic that way. So I do a lot of listening. I'm driving around town. And when you live in Atlanta, you have time when you're driving around town, right? And uh, so I listen. I listen to a lot of interviews. Uh, It's the way I get to know people I might not otherwise know. This week I heard an interview with a woman named Jody Cantor. She's a reporter for the New York Times. And she's been doing a lot of reporting over the past few months about Harvey Weinstein. And uh, if you've been keeping up with her reporting, things that are come out of his life's story, you'll understand why the interviewer asked her this question. Has it been hard for you to report on this person? And uh, her answer was, yet yeah, it has been hard because I'm actually a big fan of a lot of the movies that the Weinstein Company has produced. Um, now, she didn't mention any in particular, but if I name a few, you'll, you might have heard of the King's Speech. 
any fans of the King's Speech out there. Uh, a movie called The Artist, black and white movie that won Best Picture Oscar a few years ago. Django Unchained, hard, hard movie to watch. Lots of violence, lots of language you don't want your children to use. But it had a lot of important things to say and conversation starters about racism in the United States. Silver Linings Playbook, for those of you who might like a more romantic feel. And the list goes on and on of stories that this movie company has told. And so Jody Cantor was saying, yeah, it was hard to report on how this guy's been living, how he's been treating women, because I really like the stories that his company's been telling. She's saying the life he's been living is making it harder for me to love the stories that he's been telling. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is saying that to God's church. 1 Corinthians is God's way of saying to his people, you know what? You've been living in a way that's making it harder for other people to hear the story I'm telling. That's what this book is all about. When you read it, it looks like a hodgepodge of all kinds of crises going on in one congregation. And yet it turns out that it's all about this problem. That people who know the story about Jesus, we know the gospel story. We still live as though that story doesn't intersect with our lives at all. Is there any hope for us? Well, let's answer that question, but let's start by reviewing the story that God is telling. What, what is that story? To get there, we're going to work backward through the few verses that uh, Tom read. We're going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The story God is telling is a story about Jesus Christ. I'm going to let you in on a secret If you read any of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote that are collected in the New Testament, when it seems like he's talking about himself, he's actually talking about Jesus. Because in his mind, the story of what Jesus is like and the story of what his life now should be like are becoming one. He makes that plain here as he says, when you look at my life, when, when you ask the story, what, what is my life telling? I want it to be telling the same story the life of Jesus tells. God is telling a story about Jesus Christ. So follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What is that story about Jesus telling us? It's a story about living for a good other than your own. The story of Jesus' life is a story about living for the good of somebody other than himself. This is why Paul says what he does at the end of chapter 10. He says, I try to please everybody in every way. Now, this is not the language of somebody who's insecure. I want you to be pleased with me. No, this is Paul telling the story of Jesus. Jesus did not please himself. He did not do what would be best for himself. He did what would be best for many others. In everything he did, he lived that way. This is why I try to live this way. I'm trying to tell the story of Jesus in the way that I live. And it's a story in which the main character doesn't live for himself. 
He lives for the good of someone other than himself. Paul says this, end of verse 33, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Hmm, who does that remind you of? Somebody who lives for the good of many, so that they may be saved. When I was in third grade, I sat down with a teacher uh, she is a literature class, small group of us. You know, they call you the gifted. What they mean is you're the troublemakers. And we're going to send you off down here where you can't bother everybody else. So there are only three of you in the class, right? And so she sits down for this one-on-one conversation about a story called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And we read it. And she says, does that remind you of anything? And I said, it reminds me of a lion. And she said, well, so, but this lion dies and then he comes back to life again. Does that remind you of anything? I said, it reminds me of a di- lion who died and came back to life again. And she said, does it remind you of Easter? And I said, what's that have to do with eggs? I didn't know the story of Jesus. I didn't grow up in a family that went to church that celebrated Easter. If we ever went to church, it was really just about doodling and drawing pictures while the man talked. So now I'm the man talking. I didn't know the story. It didn't remind me of anything. So she told me the story. She told me this story about Jesus. It's the first time I ever remember. Now, it was many years before I actually believed any of that story. But I was hearing it for the first time. When Paul writes like this, he's telling the story of Jesus. He's saying, does this remind you of anyone? The fact that I, who used to persecute Christians, I wanted to stamp out the name of Jesus. And now I can say, I want to live for the good of somebody other than myself. And I'm not seeking my own good. I'm seeking the good of many so that they may be saved So that people who deserve God's worst could receive God's best instead. Does that remind you of anyone? It's the story God is telling. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story we call the gospel. And it involves a hero who lives for a good other than his own. And he lives for a glory greater than his own. Paul is telling the story of Jesus in verse 31 when he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything you do, do it for a glory greater than your own. That is the story of Jesus. The story of the Son of God who out of love for people who deserve God's worst would come and do everything he ever did for the glory of his Father. And for the good of other people. For the good of people from every nation. Right? Verse 32 says, Don't cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. People from any nation, any religious background, any culture. Jesus did not please himself. He sought the good of many. He lived for a glory greater than his own. And for the good of of someone other than himself. That's the story God is telling. Every member of the human race 
wants to be part of a story like that. We're all longing to hear stories. of Not, not Harvey Weinstein's stories. Where people who have power abuse it and take advantage of others. We're longing to hear a story and to be a part of that story in which somebody has real power to really change the world, to bring about a glory greater than their own and who uses that power, not selfishly, not for themselves, but for the good of other people. We're longing for that story. That's what C.S. Lewis knew when he wrote this story about the lion and the witch and the wardrobe. He knew there are some people in the world who won't hear the story from Scripture until they first hear it in a different form. He wrote a story that would make it easier to hear the story God is telling. Some of us love The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe for that reason. Some of us love seeing a, seeing a, a decent athlete win, Right? Someone who is a good human being who prospers on the field. Why do we love that? Why do we give so much of our time caring about sports? One of the reasons is we love to see someone who is genuinely good win. We love to see someone use their talent for a glory greater than their own. I mean, what a great thing to watch Anytime you mention a particular team, right, you're going to step on somebody's toes. So I apologize. But the Houston Astros, okay, wearing those little patches this year, Houston strong. Their city was devastated by hurricanes this year, by disaster. And what did they do? They said, you know what? We got something bigger than ourselves to play for now. We're going to play for a glory greater than our own. We're concerned about the good of people other than ourselves. It's good to see somebody like that come out on top. Why do we love sports? Because we're longing for that story that God is telling. And sports are just a little shadow of that great story. It's why many of us love the story of Harry Potter, right? It's a story about self-sacrificial love defeating lust for power. You first read it and you're like, who don't want my kids to read this because it seems to be a story about kids being naughty and getting away with it. And then you read further and you realize, no, it's a story about a mother laying down her life to defeat Lust for power. And then you keep reading, you keep reading, and her son grows up to do the very same thing. Why do we love that story? Because we love witches and wizards. No, we don't. We love that story because it tells this story. It helps us understand the story that God is telling about his son who lives for a glory greater than his own who doesn't seek his own good he doesn't do what's best for himself he actually does what's worst for himself being crucified is not what's best for you 
Dying under God's curse is not what's best for your own good. But Jesus, Jesus' life tells this story in which the hero lives for a glory greater than his own and for a good other than his own. That's why we love it. That's why we love every story that reminds us of it. Now comes the problem. Paul is writing these 16 chapters that we call 1 Corinthians because we as a people, we live a life that makes it harder for people to hear the story God is telling. If you lived in Corinth in the first century, how would you live? Well, the story that the culture was telling in first century Corinth was You do what is good for you. It's a story about success. You make sure you come out on top. You do what's good for you and don't worry about what's good for somebody else. You live for your glory. Don't worry about the story God might be telling. You tell your story and make sure you come out on top. It's due to a movement called Sophism. If you want to study more about it, have fun. Look it up, Sophism. It's, it's kind of a, somewhere between philosophy and going to law school, uh, where teachers would travel around every town and teach you how to win every argument, whether the thing you were arguing for was moral or immoral, didn't matter, as long as you won, as long as you came out on top. This was the cultural movement of the moment. And so not surprisingly, all these people who had come to faith in Jesus were just living that out in the church. And Paul says, let me talk to you about some of the issues. This is, this is what happens when you tell that kind of story with your life. It all becomes about uh, questions about who's right and who wins and who gets the glory. So the first four chapters of this letter are about people going around saying, uh, I'm a better Christian than you because I follow a better pastor than you do. I follow Paul himself. I follow Apollos, who's a far more gifted preacher. Paul never argues that point, by the way, interestingly. Yeah, he's, he's better than I am. And then you got the spiritual crowd saying, well, we follow Jesus himself. But they're all saying exactly the same thing. I want what's good for me. I want everybody to know I'm the most mature. I win. You lose. And you keep reading. And we're just going to hit the highlights here. We don't have time to go through 16 chapters worth of this. But in chapter uh, (laughs) 6, you arrive to this place where people are saying, if you do me wrong... I'm glad we go to church together, but I will sue you. That's all there is to it. I'm going to win. Don't do me wrong. I don't care if you're my brother or sister in Jesus. That's spiritual stuff. We're talking money. We're talking who comes out on top. Don't mess with me. Later in chapter 6, does it get any better? Nah. Now you, now you got arguments. Hey, Paul, tell us who's right. Some of us think that God wants our desires to be satisfied, so it's okay to hire prostitutes. Are we right? Do we win? 
And others are saying, we know that God wants our superior spirituality to be put on display. So we know they're wrong because we don't even touch our wives anymore. We are so holy. We've stopped having any physical contact with anybody. Do we win? And Paul says, you all lose. You're all losing because you're all telling this story that's about your own glory. And you're all telling a story that's about your own good. You're living as though the story of Jesus had nothing to do with the story of you. Now, let me tell you something. We just hit a few highlights, right? It gets worse. You go down through 1 Corinthians. You get to chapters 8 and 9 and 10. And and now it becomes about eat and drink. And some people are saying, look, if I go to a market and I buy bull meat that was slaughtered and offered as a sacrifice to Zeus, I'm going to eat it, dang it. Because meat is meat. And I don't care if me eating that meat in front of you makes, it, makes you think it's okay to worship gods that aren't real. Because I get to win. And this is my meat. I pay good money for it. And I'm going to eat it. And I really don't care about you. Other people are saying, no, 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 no. You can't have anything to do with idols. So I'm never going to eat the meat. I'm never going to eat the wine that was poured out as a sacrifice to Aphrodite or Venus. I'm not... I'm not going to do that because what's really important is everybody sees that I'm holier than everybody else. So Paul, which one of us is right? Those who eat and drink or those who don't? And Paul says, question for you. Are any of you being motivated here by glory greater than your own? If not, you're all wrong. Are any of you being motivated on these questions about what's good for someone else? If not, you're all wrong. Listen, y'all. Paul started this church a few years before he wrote this letter. He was their first pastor. If I was his pastor, don't take this personally, but I'd be writing a letter that says... Paul, an apostle, by the will of Jesus Christ, for the glory of God, to the church at Corinth. Y'all are a hot mess. You are an embarrassment to me and to Jesus. The end. P.S. Please don't tell anybody I was your pastor ever. But the story God is telling doesn't work that way. The story God is telling works this way. It's good news. That what Jesus has done can actually change us. So that we can become a people who live in a way that does make it easier for everyone around us to hear the story God is telling. Good news That real people who are really messed up in some serious ways. Who see church as a competition. Who see physical intimacy and sexual relationships as a chance to win. Whether you win by doing it or win by not doing it. 
I'm winning. And that's what's my... Jesus can change us. Hear these verses again. Written to people who are getting it all wrong. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You're not doing it that way right now. But I believe that you can become the kind of people who will do everything for a glory greater than your own. Don't cause anyone to stumble, whether Jewish people or non-Jewish people, Greeks, or the church of God. Christian people, even as I try to please everybody in every way. Jesus has changed me, Paul is saying. And so I know he can change you. I know he can change us. I know that right now your story in all these ways is making it harder to hear the story that God is telling. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Because what Jesus has done is full of power. When someone doesn't seek their own good, but seeks your good instead of their own, when someone lays down his life for you, when you deserve God's worst, and he does that so that you can experience God's best forever, it changes you. So Paul can say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What would it look like if we started living a life that made it easy for people to hear the story God's telling? First, we'd have to ask Is my life kind of like the life of the Corinthians, just telling the cultural story? Their cultural story was about sophism and success. Our cultural story right now might be a story about Western prosperity. But the main thing I want is to have more stuff so I can have an easier, more comfortable life. And, and if that story is not what's best for you, I don't really care. I'm living for this very small glory and for my own good. It might be a story of American superiority. That narrative is alive and well in our cultural moment. I'm going to live a life that says... This nation is the best ever, and if you don't come from it, I'm sorry if that's not good for you to hear, but I'm living for me, and I'm going to win, even if you have to lose. If we're going to live a story that's different than that, a story that says, I want to be like, I want to be like the chain that grandbuddy put in the tree. Grandbuddy is what my kids call my dad, Buddy Hagen. He's grandbuddy. When grandbuddy was about this tall, he uh, went to a pecan tree in his front yard and he laid a chain in it, a chain about this long. 
He laid it in the fork of the tree. The tree had begun to grow and split like this. And so now, 60 years later, you can't tell where the tree stops and the chain begins. The, The tree just grew around it. Totally enveloped it. The story of the tree and the story of the chain will never be separated again. There was a time when the chain was over here doing one thing and the tree was over here doing something different. But now, the chain is so wrapped up inside the tree that if the tree gets wet, the chain's getting wet. If the, if the tree's growing and strong, the chain's going to stay right where it is. If the tree falls over, the chain's going to fall over. That's what it's like to put your trust in Jesus so that he wraps your story up inside of his story. It begins to change the way you think about many things. What if it changed the way you thought about your work? What if instead of going to work as an engineer and saying, yeah, I'll look over the plans for the bridge because i got to make a paycheck. What if you said, you know, building this bridge is actually part of a glory greater than my own. I'm reflecting the glory of the great designer, a great creator. When I create, I'm reflecting his glory. And I'm not just going to spend the money I make with this paycheck on myself. I'm actually serving the good of other people if I design a bridge that's safe to drive across and won't fall. What if my work is child care? I could say, man, I'm just going to put up with the brats until it's time to go home. But if Jesus is wrapping me up inside his story, I start to think differently about that. You know what? The little brats, they're actually people made in the image of God. And my care for them reflects a, a glory greater than theirs or mine. And I'm concerned about what's good for them. And, and I want what's best for their parents as I care for them. And I want them to turn out to be decent people so that 40 years from now, when they live next door to your grandchildren, they'll be good neighbors. Because this story of Jesus living for a glory greater than his own and for a good other than his own has started to change me. It might even change the way I think about fun. Oh, here's the part of the story where the Christian preacher says you can't have fun anymore. (laughs) Read the text with me. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, sometimes it's right to eat and drink. And Paul is not talking about drinking Coke. Sorry. He was talking about drinking wine. Sometimes it's all right to touch your wife. Read chapter 7 if you don't believe me. This is not the part of the story where I tell you not to have fun. This is the part of the story where I say Jesus changes us when he wraps us inside his story. When I was a freshman at Clemson, a group of guys were were entering a lip sync contest. And we were going to win. There was no question we were going to win. Karaoke night. We are getting ready. And... uh, the leader of our group, Gary, senior, we're freshmen, he's the senior. Gary's dressing 
in, uh, in drag, dressing like a woman. He's got his dress on and his wig. And we're just having fun with this old so- song by uh, Roy, Roy Orbison, right? You know, Pretty Woman. And uh, Gary's coming in, dressed like this woman, and he's walking around, and the rest of us are kind of, you know, making eyes at her and falling back. And we're doing the lip sync thing, and we've got the leather jackets and the, the, the blue jeans, and there once was a time when I wore blue jeans. Not that time anymore. We had the penny loafers on. Perfect. We were going to win. We're rehearsing in the basement of our dorm, and a young lady walked in. And she said, what are you guys doing? And we said, we're getting ready to go win a lip sync contest. And she said, no, you're not. Because when I stand here and watch you, it just, it, it looks like you're saying it's okay for men to treat women this way. And you're just making fun of it. You're making a joke out of it. And I think that's a pretty serious thing. I don't think you guys should do this. And Gary said, okay, we won't. And the rest of us, being freshmen, said, no, oh, come on, you've got to be kidding. I mean, we drove all around town finding the penny loafers and the, the jackets. And, and we got the grease in our hair. And we're going to win, man. And Gary said, no, we're not. It's going to be fun. And Gary said, but guys, Gary was our Bible study leader. Freshman guys, Bible study. It's not all about the fun. Do we want this young lady to think that Jesus produces men who don't care about whether young women feel like they've been put in an awkward place. We don't want her to think that, do we? It would have been fun. It was fun driving all around town finding the jackets, wasn't it? We had a great time eating pizza. Jesus is telling a different story. What? Jesus is going to make me think differently about work and about fun? Yeah. Yeah. The story God is telling changes the story we want our lives to tell. And Jesus sets us free. He wraps us up inside himself so that his story shapes ours. And we begin to live for a glory greater than our own and for a good other than our own. Let's pray along those lines as we get ready to receive the Lord's Supper. Lord Jesus, thank you for the story that you not only told with your lips, but you lived it with your life and every ounce of your being. All that you did was for our good, even your death. Thank you for this privilege Cause those of us who do not yet know you, we don't yet treasure that story as we ought, cause us to love you more deeply. Cause those of us who do know you, whose lives are not reflecting our love of you, to grow and change. 
because of who you are. Amen.